What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 103 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer the question first. I'm not answering the question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we will talk about what we've been eating, answer a listener question, revisit one of our favorite sections, what's the deal with vegans, break down this week's news, and then move on into our main discussion of the week, do vegan ethics go far enough? Yeah, we're going to be talking about wild animal suffering all aboard the fun train, everybody. Choo-choo. Paul, I'm actually feeling pretty fantastic right now. Yeah? Why is that, Andy? Because fall has come back to me. I thought it was because you're parked behind a movie theater right now. I mean, that certainly doesn't hurt, (laughs) but the fact that that I can now, as listeners might know, some probably don't, I don't mention it too often, I live in my van, so I'm often recording from my van, which means I'm at the mercy of the elements, (laughs) and I do not predict that I will be very sweaty by the end of this recording. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It's nice and cool outside. You know what, Andy? I got to go through that, too, because I got to turn off my, my wonderful air conditioning every time I, we need to record. <laughs> must be must be rough, Paul, <laughs> going without AC for about two hours. That's good. I'm glad that you won't be a big old sweaty mess by the end of this recording. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Andy, I didn't really have anything super exciting this week. I had my, my standard Tasty and Blackbird, but uh, did you have anything new and exciting? Yeah, I think some of our non-Northeast listeners are like, thank fucking God, because (laughs) I am on my yearly trip where I do a little loop. I go to Texas, I go to Florida for a couple weeks, I do the Atlanta Veg Fest. So we're going to be getting some new restaurants up in the mix. And currently I'm recording from Knoxville, Tennessee, which in my previous experience is not the most vegan-friendly town, but... I was driving through, and I opened up the old Happy Cow app, and lo and behold, a lone all-vegan restaurant appeared. Ooh. Yeah, so I, I got off the highway. I'm like, I'm going to give this place a try. It's called Sanctuary Vegan Cafe. And, Paul, mm-hmm. much to my delight, when I pulled up, it was located directly next to a different movie theater. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One that... I've actually been to before, (laughs) but really I'm like, oh, what a perfect combo movie theater and vegan cafe right next to it. This is a place that does, it's like comfort food, burgers, hot dogs, sandwiches, you know, Philly cheesesteak, fried tofu sandwich, things of that nature. I got the barbecue cauliflower wings, which I thought were pretty tasty. And I got what some would probably consider a very childish entree. I got a hot dog. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) uh, no shame, Andy. No shame. Sometimes. And I was like, I'm going to walk in there. I looked at the menu online in advance and I was like, I'm going to walk in there. And if that hot dog is light life, I'm 100% going to get it. And it was. (laughs) And I know a lot of people are like, why would you go to a restaurant and get a light life hot dog? To which I say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. (laughs) Don't hot dog shame, Andy. 
Exactly. It uh, came with a bunch of grilled onions and relish and on a nice, soft, like, whole wheat kind of bun. And then for sides, you could get fries or salad or uh, chips and salsa. But you could also upgrade to mashed potatoes and gravy. Ooh. <laughs> so I had a real mishmash of a meal, but it was a, a hot dog. It was mashed potatoes <laughs> and gravy. It was very solid. It was definitely tasty. Was I will it solid certainly the, even the mashed potatoes were solid. <laughs> they actually froze them and brought them out. <laughs> they threw them at me. But yeah, wait staff uh, was super nice, uh, very friendly, welcoming atmosphere. So definitely a place that I will continue to stop at on my travels. It's nice to know that there's something I have to travel all the way to Nashville so I can stop off in uh, Knoxville. So awesome, awesome job, Sanctuary Vegan Cafe. All right. Thank you, Andy. Um, so let's move on now into another listener question that we didn't have enough time to get to a few mailbags ago, but it was still a cool question. It was an interesting question, so we wanted to... Um, it's a cool question. A cool, cool question. So we wanted to give it its, uh, you know, give it some air time. So Andy, what's this, what's this question? Yes, and these questions come in to us via our Instagram, or they can be submitted to our email, thebeardvegans at gmail.com. We're just going to start answering these questions all the time, so send them in regardless of if a mailbag's coming in. It's fun to stick these in the show, especially if it's maybe a shorter question. So this one comes from Mr. Tosok on (laughs) Instagram. So I turned vegan almost two years ago for health reasons. My wife is not a vegan. So my question is, how do you politely push someone to go vegan without being a, quote, crazy pushy vegan? Now, I get that this was my own choice and that I will never hold that against my wife, especially since she is the best thing that has ever happened to me, but I would love her even more if she became vegan. Ha ha. We also did get a question from uh, Aspinelli on Instagram as well asking, how do you date non-vegans? So before we answer this question, I will say people can go back to episode 42 in which we asked the question, should vegans date non-vegans for a much lengthier discussion on this? But Paul, mm-hmm. what, what, uh, what's your response to this? Like how can someone that is dating a non-vegan get that non-vegan over to our vegan side? Um, or, I, or should or, they even be trying to do that? I think it's like, it, I, I think it, depends on the person it depends on the relationship um I, I think that especially if it's someone that you know you were in this relationship already and then you recently went vegan i totally understand it's like you you feel like this is a, a big life-changing thing and you want to share this thing with the person that's probably in your top three most important people in your life you want to share that experience with these with these other people and and i do think that you know, like those other people should definitely, you know, experience these things with you. They should, they will hopefully go to vegan restaurants with you or try out new recipes with you. I don't think, however, that they are, you know, like obliged to, to do this thing for the sole reason that you are also doing it again. It's like, I, I totally get wanting them to do it, but I think we also need to understand that, someone is not obligated to go vegan for the sole reason that they are in some form of some form of relationship with another vegan, whether that's their husband or whether that's their son or their, their mother or something like that. Um, you know, there are, there are very good reasons to go vegan, but none of these have to say this person has to go vegan. So all this is to say, I, I think, 
I tend to not be super duper pushy with those people that I have these very, very close relationships with. I do. I want them to experience these things. I share vegan food with them. Uh, I, I talk about these things when they come up, but I'm not super duper pushy with my, you know, with my close family members. So yeah, that's my, that's my initial thoughts, Andy. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think that I totally relate to this. You know, I'm at a point now where I'm dating a wonderful vegan partner. But when I when I went vegan, I was dating someone who was not vegan. And I totally relate to that feeling of like, oh, my God, my eyes have been opened to this horrible thing. And I want everyone around me, including the person that I am dating to, you know, to, to open their eyes as well. But. I have learned over the years that one of the best things we can do for our own well-being and our own mental health is to not get hung up on the people that are closest to us. I think that it's sometimes, I don't want to say an exercise in futility, but I think that if we get invest so much in getting our loved ones to go vegan, that it ends up causing a lot of, of hurt when when we get too invested in that and think about how many other people are out there that you can that you can work on that you can work to um, show them the light but if it's a loved one that you see every day and then you turn that person into this reminder of well i you know i'd like them even more if they went vegan and i think that goes for kind of anything in any relationship like you can't view your partner as someone like oh, they're really cool. I would like them even more if they did this. You have to accept your partner for who they are and where they're at. It's not going to be good for you if you start to get really hung up on those things. And so I take the route that Paul takes, which is be there, be the vegan in the room, be the example, feed the food, answer the questions when they come up. Maybe if there's ways that you can sort of fit in you know, a vegan response here and there, but don't make it your life's purpose. Don't get hung up on it. It's just going to make you feel worse in the long run. And, and also, I think this is something that we, I think we touched upon in that episode 42 when we were talking about should you date non-vegans? But, and, and this is not something that it, it, it seemed Mr. Tosok implied that Mrs. Tosok was doing. But, <laughs> you know, you don't need to, you don't need to, put just for what we're saying is different than you know if someone that you're in this close relationship with is like making fun of you for for being vegan or making fun of something that's you know something that's very very important to you or or anything like that it's like we're not saying that you need to put up with that kind of stuff you should hopefully the other person will respect that you know this is something that's very very important to you um so yeah i just wanted to say that because i didn't want our answer to come off as us just you know, you're not just being passive when it comes to veganism, but you're just also not, like Andy said, making it your life goal to convert this one person to veganism. Absolutely. And I, and I would say, thank you for bringing that up, Paul. You're welcome. If, you're, if, if your partner is someone that is doing that, like, it's not just like, oh, this partner, my partner's really cool. They eat the vegan food with me. You know, we, we have a vegan household or maybe they keep like a bag of cheese in there and like, they don't give me crap for it. And we just sort of peacefully coexist in terms of vegan stuff. Then like that is one situation. But if they are actively mocking you or making fun of you or giving you a hard time for that, 
you have to consider if this is someone that truly has your back in the relationship and if they really respect you. Uh, I don't think anyone should be putting up with that stuff. I think that that's 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 a red flag in your relationship if they're not willing to respect, you know, your your ethical decisions that you're making. More good put than I just put it, Andy. More good. <laughs> More good put. But I, I I have to say I was <laughs> randomly I was listening to an episode of Red Radio, which is like a, a vegan podcast I got into back in the day, and. Uh, and it was an episode they were talking about dating non-vegans, and they brought up all these things that I hadn't really thought about. I don't know if we really touched on them in our dating episode, but things that it's beyond just what restaurant are we going to for a Friday night date. It's are, are we having kids? If we have kids, are they raised vegan? What happens when those kids go to grandma's house? Like all of these things, like they can, <laughs> they can like totally alter once someone decides to go vegan and that can cause a rift so if you're already in the relationship with someone then you gotta you you deal with that but i think it's important to have really good open communication about those things as well so my dad my dad's been vegetarian for like at this point i don't know 40 50 years and when him and my mom were talking about having kids um, my dad has told me that <laughs> he went to my mom and he said, all right, we can have kids, but one, they're going to be vegetarian, and two, we're not going to take them to church. And <laughs> both my both my brother and I were not raised vegetarian and were taken to church as children. <laughs> so my dad s- set out those plans and uh, did not achieve either of them. But I guess with me, he, I, I exceeded in the long run. Your, your was, mom was like, yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Wink. <laughs> it was a it was the long con. He he got what he wanted with me. <laughs> Which was a wonderful son. Oh, but I, Andy. You're one Thank heck you. of a guy, Paul. Thank you, Andy. So are you. Did we answer Mr. Tosok? I, I believe we did. All right. So I don't know if that's as truly an answer that you wanted to hear, which is basically you just have to love your whole partner regardless of where they're at on this particular issue as long as they're not being a jerk to you. But hopefully you got something out of that. Yeah. So, Andy, I, I think uh, you, you something came up uh, in this past week, just a couple of days ago, that, that made you want to bring up one of our... I, I wanna say, I, I'm hesitant to say favorite because it's always talking about something cringeworthy, but yeah. um, one of our favorite segments. That segment is, what's the deal with vegans? <laughs> and I feel like my Seinfeld impression has started to morph into a Don Pardo impression. <laughs> but yeah, so this is this is when we we bring up this segment whenever vegans are really stepping out of line. Sometimes it's something really serious. Sometimes it's kind of trivial, like giving people crap about eating Taco Bell. Uh, unfortunately, this week it is vegans doing something that I would view as as pretty serious. Um, I think anyone that's on Facebook has probably witnessed the hashtag Me Too, which is trending right now and is essentially a hashtag that is designed to bring awareness to um, sexual abuse, sexual assault, uh, rape culture in general. And I don't know if it's necessarily our place to comment on that specifically, but as vegans, I was like, I'm just waiting for the vegans to figure out some way to co-opt this thing, which is used to bring awareness of a very serious issue. Uh, And really, 
in record time, the vegans were <laughs> pumping out the pictures that had, you know, cows being artificially inseminated with the hashtag Me Too on it. And how many of you posting hashtag Me Too are vegans and all of these things. We had a couple of listeners send those in to us. So thank you for that. Unfortunately, I had seen a few people reposting as well. And we're not going to draw this out. We just wanted to say, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. It's just, don't, don't do that. Uh, vegans. We can stay in our lane. Everything doesn't have to be about and for us. So don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> and this has been What's the Deal with Vegans? <laughs> Thank you, Andy. So with the conclusion of that segment, uh, let's go on into our news items. This first news item, I had actually been getting email updates about this don't remember andy when i signed up for this but uh i've been getting email updates and i got an email update that said hey there's this new uh movie trailer out and as a as a couple guys that like watching watching movies and talking about movies i was like okay i'll watch this trailer and it was for a movie that's coming out called the yo-yo effect and um andy what do you got what do you what do you got to say about this movie you know what, Paul, before we even talk about it, let's actually just play like 20 or 30 seconds from this trailer so people can get kind of an idea of what this, the vibe of this trailer is. We go to great levels to design food that tastes amazing. I kind of wish the whole weight loss industry would go away. Food addictions are so common today that people aren't even aware they're addicted. 99% of diets don't work. The American diet is just slowly killing us. It is a yo-yo. It is a trap. It's important to lose weight, not only in ways that help us lose weight, but in ways that don't mortgage our health. So I think that people that are hearing this are like, we we have heard this before. But for those that are not familiar with this filmmaker, this is by Mihail Shaversky, who did Food Choices. And you can go and listen to episode 30, where we did a review of that film. Paul, I actually, because I was like, I, I remember not loving food choices, but I, we've done so many reviews of films that are kind of feel the same that I was like, maybe there was things we did like or how did, you know, so I went back and listened to segments of that episode. I gotta say, it's a pretty fun episode. <laughs> it, it is, it is an episode that marks our like reunion together like we had been apart i had been traveling for a while and we are both so joyous to be back in the same room <laughs> recording again so that was really cool um that's nice episode 30 also the origin of gregor gate Ooh. so i know that's not something that's come up on the show in probably like 100 episodes but honestly it's like one of the favorite th- my favorite things that's ever come out of this show <laughs> so yeah definitely go listen to that if you uh, are, if you are curious, if that has piqued your curiosity, you want to know what Gregor Gates all about, go listen to episode thirty. <laughs> Some of the comments that we made on food choices, you said, if you've seen Forks Over Knives, you don't need to see this. <laughs> You're also very cautious about a lot of the statements that were being made you said that there were people making some really wacky claims that you didn't feel they were particularly qualified (laughs) to make (laughs) so so yeah so basically it seemed like we could have filed food choices under uh people don't really need to see this kind of thing but if you've never seen a forks over knives or whatever whatever go see it if you want 
So I guess I would say this wasn't like a film that I was like, I can't wait to see the next thing that this guy does. But I am, of course, (laughs) always interested in the progression of people that are putting out vegan films. So I was kind of bummed to see this trailer as as people gathered from the little bit that we did play. It's a film very heavily focused on weight loss and it's like a vegan or a plant-based like health film again. But uh Paul, you watched mm-hmm. this whole thing. It's it's a long trailer. It was yeah. both a trailer and a plea for funding from the director. Mm-hmm. It's five and a half minutes long. Uh what did you think of this trailer? I think, Andy, that this movie might take the cake for fat shaming health vegan health movies because it was truly like like, you know, in a lot of these health movies, you'll see the the like the headless fat person once or twice in the movie. Andy, how many were there in this in this trailer? In the two and a half minute trailer before the plea for fundraising, seven headless fatties. Seven. It's like I I could not believe how like I was like I feel like they're they're trying to make this like this satire of what this movie what this type of movie is is typically come how how it presents itself but it it doesn't seem like it's really going to bring anything new or anything different to the table uh I, paul excuse me the director said this was groundbreaking film <laughs> i i think doesn't he say something like it's groundbreaking because it's not about diet it's about weight loss or something like that he and, in in the plea for fundraising he said uh you know like so what makes this different he said unlike other health documentaries this one is really focused around weight loss and i'm like <laughs> I, I don't think you've seen other health documentaries because they're all really focused on weight loss. The thing that I'm like, I, I've come to realize is that what a lot of these movies, what a lot of these movies try to do is they, obviously it's like a vegan for vegan for your health argument that they're making, but a lot of them try and they try to separate a plant-based diet from any other diet. Like they, they try to make it seem like, a plant-based diet is different than any other diet. But I mean, like I remember, I don't remember what movie it was, but one of the movies literally said the problem with diets, like they're talking about like the Atkins diet or the paleo diet or whatever. uh, The person said the problem with diets is that as soon as you quit them, the weight loss comes back and the health problems come back. But that's like from, from what they're saying, the claims that they're making, that would be the same exact thing. If they stopped doing a plant-based diet, you would assume that, all these things that all these benefits that they're claiming that they'll get will just reverse. And it seems like, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm over this idea. I'm over like the miracle vegan plant-based diet idea. Um, I don't think that this movie is going to be groundbreaking. And I I don't, it it has, you know, it has all the same people that are in all the other movies, except (laughs) noticeably missing uh, T Colin Campbell, T Pac. But maybe he's gonna make like a. <laughs> <laughs> he's a surprise appearance. cameo. <laughs> yeah, um, like I'm picturing it being shown at like uh you know some like health conference or something, and he finally shows up, and everyone's like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> the audience audience gasps. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong because you know I, I probably, if you had told me what the health would be as as impactful as it has been. I probably wouldn't have believed you when just from watching that trailer because I was probably at that point saying this is the same movie that's been made 10,000 other times. So maybe I'm wrong, but it just doesn't seem like uh, it's going to be anything earth shattering. 
Well, I mean, What the Health only had, I believe, one headless fatty in in their trailer. So, I mean, this one will probably be seven times more successful. <laughs> this film, it's definitely taken a page out of the Cowspiracy and What the Health playbook. It is really playing up the angle of this is a guy that's like risk. It says there's like one of the title card says he'll risk his safety to uncover the truth. And then they cut to a guy who has like his face blurred out. And he's oh, like with the voice modulation, voice modulation. <laughs> and then one title card says disruptive and unapologetic. And I'm just like, and he says, some people have gone to jail for exposing this information. And, and, yeah. and I, I like did a quick look up and I'm like, ah, you're going to have to show your work on that one. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, I, I, that the jail comment surprised me as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, did he just totally make that up? Is there some, is that some case? Like, like, what is it? Some, someone out there must know. If this is something that actually happened, please send us an email to beardvegans at gmail dot com. But yeah, I don't know it's just like, oh, a bunch of you know old white guy doctor talking heads spewing the same information like i i don't know if we continued to need these films uh does have dr neil barnard so i'm pretty sure at some point he will say the phrase rippling muscles (laughs) (laughs) but it's just yeah like like you paul i'm just over it did you did you like though what one one moment I did appreciate was when like there's music in the background of all these people talking like all the talking heads and stuff like that and then at one point the music just cuts out and I forget who it was but one of the guys was just like like and I'm over it god damn it and I feel like the music cut out to like emphasize that he's like man this guy's really pissed off right now <laughs> but it just kind of created this like goofy thing where you're just like whoa this guy just said the GD word in the yeah. trailer it's like uh oh. Put the kids to bed. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I don't know. There's a, another th- a quote from one of the, uh, the talking heads in the film, which was, you are not a victim of your genetics. You are a victim of what you decide to put on your plate. And again, the, the, the panel I did with Ginny Messina, the vegan RD the other weekend, she talked about how like, yeah, some vegans do have problems with their genetics and some will get cancer because of it. And some will have heart disease because of it. And so it's like right in this trailer, it's like, okay, here we go. Another silver bullet magic cure. And it's it's just so irresponsible. Yeah. You know, I think about giving false hope to people. And again, all of this is not to say, it's not that we haven't seen, you know, the evidence and the studies that say that eating fruits and vegetables is good for you. And for some people, it does reverse their diabetes. I know several people that did reverse their diabetes, their type 2 diabetes, we're not trying to say that eating plants, you know, plant-based foods, especially like whole unprocessed ones, we're not saying those things aren't good for you, that we don't believe that people do get a lot of benefits from these things. But it's when you push it to that extreme and you make this claim and you overpromise to people that are desperate and looking for a solution and think they're going to get off all their meds and think they're going to drop 60 pounds in a few weeks and all of these things, when they don't see those results... They're another ex-vegan writing a testimonial about why veganism doesn't work for them. And, and I would also, I would also say that this, we're not trying to say that someone that, like, I would, I would never shame someone for being like, oh, I'm gonna try this plant-based diet because I, I heard it was, you know, like it was, 
healthier. I heard that I could reverse something that I have. Like, I would never say like, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. Like, don't, you're doing it for the wrong reason. It's like, if someone wants to, if someone wants to try this out for whatever goal that they may have, you know, it's like, I think it's good to encourage people that have goals. It's just promising people, promising people, promising anybody that they're going to get these things with a hundred percent certainty is, is where, you know, that's where I would say, Hey, begins, stop doing that. <laughs> What's the deal? Um, yeah. And, and so I've used the term headless fatty a few times right now. Um, and that is not just me being a callous individual. This is actually a term that was coined in 2007 by Dr. Charlotte Cooper. Um, and so it's like a well-documented thing. I mean, just from my own, like when I watch it, I'm like, it's pretty dehumanizing and, and to and objectifying to show it's the shot of the fat person where they're it's cut off at the neck. You don't see their face. And, you know, people are like, well, it's protecting their anonymity. But I remember there, there's like a Jim Gaffigan bit where he's like, if that person sees himself on the news, they know it's them, you know. Um, but I, I found uh, an article called Headless Fatties in the Media Making Us Fat. Uh, and this is from good.is. <laughs> we'll post a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> but it was talking about uh, the study that was done on the representation of the headless fatty. Uh, and the study was published in the Journal of Health Communication. And uh, just one quick quote from that study is, What we've observed in other experimental research is that when people are exposed to negative images of overweight or obese people, they're more likely to express prejudice towards overweight people. So it's it's just like not good and this like film just seems like it's packed with it and it's a point of pride and i just see these films ushering in all these concerned trolls and and people that that are ultimately just trying to make people feel bad about their bodies so mm-hmm. yeah i'm just like so bummed that this is a film um that's gonna be coming out yeah and i'll probably still see it <laughs> uh, i would i would be okay with not seeing it unless like it starts to get some hype yeah, yeah. I guess I just feel like I see everything. Normally, anytime a vegan film of any any type comes out and there's like a Kickstarter and Indiegogo, I almost always contribute so it can get like early access. But this is like, you know what? I'm not going to give my money to this one. <laughs> I don't blame you, Andy. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that is the the yo-yo effect trailer. Uh, you can check it out for yourself. See if uh, you're on board with us, or, or let us know what you think about it. Send us an email. Uh, let's move on into our next little bit of news, Paul. Yeah, so I got one other one other piece of news I found. Uh, this is coming to us from eerietvnews.com. It says, will plant-based diet change prisoner behavior as part of the Redemption Project? The Character Be About It program started by retired Pennsylvania State Police Trooper Matt Harris is coming back to Erie's public schools. It's now a part of a larger three-pronged effort called the Redemption Project. It's all about disrupting the school-to-prison pipeline for at-risk kids. Starting in November, the program that puts officers in classrooms to teach character traits and prevent bullying will be in all Erie elementary and middle schools at the request of Superintendent Brian Polito. The second prong, so that's the first prong, the second prong focuses on teaching moral reasoning and anger control to keep kids in the juvenile system from reoffending and coming back. Prong three, and this is the part that I think is uh, most relevant to this show, 
Prong 3 is an intriguing research project that will enlist inmates at Pennsylvania state prisons to see if a plant-based vegan diet will improve their health and antisocial behavior. According to Harris, the plan calls for selecting 200 inmates per facility and putting them on a plant-based vegan diet, supplying the food to the prisons and measuring sugar levels, glucose levels through blood draws. Harris said the goal is seeing if the diet changes their behavior in prison, and we think it does. Inmates near the end of their sentences who volunteer for the program will develop job skills for a new life through associated culinary and green programs. In Harris's words, helping these offenders get into careers such as, such as chefs, culinary, green cleaning, landscaping, that's what we're going to do and put these inmates that have two years or less on their sentence that are going to be leaving the system and help them stay out. So, Andy, what do you think about this initiative that's going on here? You know, I'm I'm always wary of situations where, like, cops are teaching kids how to be, you know, model citizens. <laughs> um, I'm wary of anything to do with the prison industrial complex. But I do think that this seems like it's a step more towards restorative justice. And I guess I'm in favor of it. That's That's kind of how I feel. I'm also, like... I'm skeptical about research that involves incarcerated people. Yes, yes, that definitely was feeling a little like ugh, like it, I guess it's it's opt in, but like the the idea that like oh we can test the benefits of a plant based diet on inmates, yeah, it doesn't quite sit right with me. Yeah, so, so I think I, I that's yeah that's the kind of weird feeling that I was having. And and even, I don't know, even if this research comes back and it says, yes, a vegan diet will improve inmates' healths and it will decrease antisocial behavior, like, what, what happens then? Do they just, do all prison systems just implement vegan cuisine? Is that, is that like, I don't know, I just don't, I don't, I'm not sure what this would lead to, I guess. I mean, I think it could easily lead to all prisons serving plant-based food. And do you think, I don't know, I guess that's a good thing. That would be a good thing. Sure. It's, it's, it still just feels weird to be, I guess, forcing someone to be vegan. Uh, I mean, that that's such a weird territory because not... It's kind of like saying you're forcing your child to be vegan when they are not the ones in control, like a five-year-old or something. They're not in control of their food intake. Like these inmates are eating whatever is given to them. So regardless of what they're, they're being fed, they are, for the most part, forced to eat, you know, but even if they have options for the day, they're forced to eat whatever the, the, the prison is providing for them. This is true. You know, yeah. so yeah, yeah, you're, you're I don't, you're I, don't right. I don't mean to infantilize like the adults that are in this system, but whatever they are giving, getting fed is forced upon them. Or even like you said, if they have options, it's, they have these limited options and that's it. It's not like they can, if they want pizza, they can just get pizza anytime that they want. 
Yeah. So I mean, like, I am I am in favor of in any situation institutions switching over to only offering vegan food, whether that's a town hall, whether that's a school, whether that's a prison. But I'm like not into like praising prisons, you know, because I feel yeah. like it's such a yeah. messed up institution. Yeah. No, I, I I feel a little bit better about that aspect of it after after what you said. But. Like I know that um, Joe, Ar- <laughs> noted racist piece of shit Joe Arpeo <laughs> was like he put his prisoners on like a vegan diet and like got all this like praise from like PETA and I think even Pam Anderson and it was just like like okay obviously I'm I'm glad that they're being fed plant based food rather than like animal based food but we don't need to praise these people at all and. He wasn't doing it as a form of like violence reduction or or anything like that. He was doing it because it was like bullshit slop that he felt was punishing the prisoners more. And he also had like this history of doing things to kind of like uh I don't know demasculate or emasculate like you know like made them wear like pink underwear and all of these things which obviously plays into all these sort of uh patriarchal like masculine stereotypes and and degrading men by calling them women and all this stuff and, and you know there's still the stereotype that like vegan food is very feminine and all all of these things so like his like reasoning for doing it was not altruistic but he was still getting praise for it um it seems yeah. like this program is much more altruistic than <laughs> fucking Joe <laughs> but but uh, yeah it's kind of like i'm like okay I, i'm glad they're doing it i'm glad that they're focusing on getting people good job skills and not just like tossing them out into the cold and all these things but but yeah my reservations about things being tested on prisoners is still like there yeah and it's just kind of like i don't i don't i don't know what to think about this but if people are gonna be fed food that they have no control over as long as it's meeting their nutritional needs i'd rather it be vegan but like i'm not trying to praise prisons for doing anything yeah i feel you andy i think that's all i wanted to say about this should we yeah. should we move on into the uh main discussion yeah typical very gray non-answer uh i think i think that one especially we would love to hear from our listeners like what's your opinion on this thing let us know beardvegans at gmail.com the but, beardvegans yeah. at gmail.com sure <laughs> <laughs> So Andy, let's move on into this main discussion of the week. This is a uh, this is going to be a good one. This is definitely going to fall into one of those f- more philosophical discussions. Um, so I'm excited for this one. I've had this article saved in a tab for for many weeks now, and we're finally getting to dive into it. So so our question we're asking is: Do vegan ethics go far enough? And we will start to explain what we really mean by that as we dive into this article at aon.co. We'll post a link to that in the show notes, of course. Uh, the article is titled "The Vegans Have Landed." And the subtitle is, A Dominant Species is a Dominant Species. If you really care about animal rights, vegan ethics don't go far enough. So consider my interest peaked by this <laughs> by this title. So the article starts off by stating sort of the case for animal rights as we all pretty much know it, which is that, you know, vegan advocates view animal rights to be Essentially, animals feel pain and they can suffer, and therefore it's our obligation to not use them as resources. And then the article goes on to say, yet the injustice they're fighting, and referring to animal advocates here, is not the entire apparatus of human domination, even if some activists think that's what they're against. Rather, it is one significant aspect of it, our treatment of animals as resources. 
So then the article sort of just talks about, you know, the struggle of conveying this to the general public. It's definitely an uphill battle. Talks about this one specific tactic and scenario that a lot of animal rights advocates use, which is essentially a way of just being like, hey, put yourself in the shoes of the animals. So the article says, uh, talks about this quote from Jonathan Saffron Foer from his book from 2009, Eating Animals. The quote is, if we were to one day encounter a form of life more powerful and intelligent than our own and it regarded us as we regard fish, what would be our argument against being eaten? Um, and so this is, of course, a sci-fi repackaging of the golden rule, which is due unto others. Before we really even get into what this all means, the author does say that they think that this scenario is a bit of a cheat, essentially because humans are different than animals um, in in meaningful ways, according to them, which is, you know, humans are sort of more aware of our existence and our mortality and um, we're aware of the suffering of others and that causes us to suffer. Uh, we have empathy. We can we can recognize that tomorrow will be the same as today and that causes extra pain. Um, and the, the author kind of claims animals are not as likely to or likely at all to have these kind of traits and characteristics. Um, and does point out, like, that's one of the reasons why the author thinks that, you know, Holocaust comparisons are offensive and, and not necessarily accurate. How do you feel about that assertion, Paul? I like the golden rule argument. Like, I like advocating with the golden rule argument, as Jonathan Saffron Foer put it. Like, I like using that kind of metaphor because I think it is an easy way to get empathy out of people. I do agree with the author that making an analogy like that or a metaphor like that is not perfect. It's not replicating the exact scenario that we're that like is in reality, but I do think that it's a good it's a good tactic to in general to try to get empathy from other people, to try to get people to understand like to to, to empathize with animals, and I think this is one way to do that. I do what I don't like about what this article does going from here on out is in the in the bit that you just said he basically says well you can't make this you can't make this argument because humans and animals are different but then what I feel like what he goes on to do is then make the same metaphor with aliens coming down but he's using that metaphor now for his favor so in this little bit that you just read he says hey you can't use that metaphor because animals and humans aren't the same but now i'm going to use that same metaphor to prove a different point that i'm trying to make and i think that that is a flawed way of arguing a point yeah that's (laughs) that's a good point paul i had not thought about that but that is exactly what this whole article then goes on to do (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and and like I, I kind of agree. I, I, I probably have used this metaphor in the past, but I don't think I've used it in the last probably at least five, six, seven years because it does ask someone to imagine this like fantastical scenario that, like, to me, it's kind of like, well, what, what is the likelihood that aliens will come down? So, like, why should we give a shit? I think there's probably <laughs> better. I think there's better ways for us to get the point across. It's it's about the same likelihood as the vegans being stranded on the island with the cow. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like I don't know. I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. I get that. That's kind of like the easiest way to to be like, well, 
okay, you, you know, you think you're all all powerful and all big and strong over the, but if someone was bigger than you and stronger than you, how would you like it? But I think that like, honestly, we can just say, okay, you don't like feeling pain. These animals feel pain. You know, why would you inflict that on someone if you didn't have to? Like, to me, that's like an easier, more relatable way of getting that across. Mm-hmm than trying to imagine these aliens coming down and, and forcing us into, you know, work camps and like all of these things. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the, the nature of what we're here to discuss is the extension of <laughs> this alien metaphor. So we're going to do that anyway. The article goes on to say in, in terms of expanding on this sort of alien analogy. Sure. If we were replaced as the dominant animals on the planet, we'd probably prefer the new ruling species to be vegan. But if aliens with superior technology and minds came here and were determined to treat us the way that vegan humans treat animals on this planet, we'd still be in serious trouble. Veganism would hardly figure as a safeguard of our well-being. Universal veganism wouldn't stop the road building, logging, urban and suburban development, pollution, resource consumption, and other forms of land transformation that kill animals by the billions. So what does veganism do exactly? Theoretically, it ends the raising, capture, and exploitation of living animals, and it stops a particular kind of killing that many vegans claim is the worst and least excusable, the intentional killing of animals in order to use their bodies as material goods. Veganism as a whole requires us to stop using animals for entertainment, food, pharmaceutical testing, and clothing. If it were to become universal, factory farming and animal testing would end, which would be excellent news for all the animals that we capture or raise for these purposes, but it would accomplish next to nothing for free-roaming wild animals except to stop hunting, which is the least of their problems. And the article goes on to cite the International Union for Conservation of Nature in Switzerland, which is the world's first global environmental organization, And it said, analyses of the data on threats to bird, mammal, and amphibian species show that the most pervasive threat that they face is habitat destruction and degradation driven by animal agriculture and forestry activities. And then the article goes on to sort of describe all the ways in which animals are killed by agriculture. Talks about how farmers kill small animals with their machinery, uh, kills them with pesticides. Farmers allow uh, hunters under their land to kill pests like deer and coyotes. Uh, We redirect water for irrigation, which kills fish. We hit animals with our cars. We steal their resources like land um, for our own. And what land is left to wildlife is fragmented and it's hard for them to traverse between, which... Yeah, that sucks. Like, you know, that's why I see so many dead animals near highways. And that's why I see certain people developing these land bridges, which make it easier for animals to cross. But you think about when you put a road somewhere, especially like a multi-lane highway with dividers in the middle and all these things like that really cuts off the ability for wildlife to to go from one place to the other. Hey, Andy. Yes, Paul. I is. Okay. I, I, I like I want to say this right now. I know that this is like maybe the purpose of our whole critique of this entire thing, but is this author's point you can do something that would help in some ways, but it would not help in all the ways so that so you should not do that thing at all. Is that his argument? I th- yeah, I, I guess that's kind of what we're here to explore, and I, I definitely want to kind of ask you later on. Uh, once we've gone through more of the article, which is like, 
who is this article for and what is it necessarily trying to convince them of? Is this an author that is vegan and is just trying to be like, hey, vegans, wake up. We're only doing half of the work right now. We have all this other stuff to do. Or is it someone that's like just trying to like shit on vegans and be like, you can't do it all, so you might as well do nothing. We we looked a little bit into the other stuff this author has written, so we have some insight into that. But I mean, like, is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, so he's he's making he is making you know valid claims about how animals would still be affected in other ways and how animals would still be killed in other ways, and he's trying to, I, I think later on in the article, you know, uses the metaphor of aliens and how how the aliens would actually be killing us still in these different ways for maybe it's for building their homes or if we were being pests to them, they would kill us. But Indy, the thing is humans like we already kill other humans. We, we are already, you know, like a shit stain on the earth and are, <laughs> are, you know, we do, we do fine doing terrible things to other humans, but just because that's the case does not mean we should stop trying to not be better at being humans and to not hurt and kill other humans. So I I just feel like the argument that like, Oh, but, but these aliens would be killing humans. Like, like I was saying before, he's trying to use this metaphor that he's already that he's already, according to him, disproven as a, as a potential metaphor. He's then trying to use the metaphor to say, but if aliens came down, if they really came down and followed veganism, they would be killing humans. And now he's trying to, he's okay. Andy. All right. So he, at the beginning said, I'm sorry, this is really, this is really frustrating when I was in this article (laughs) at the beginning, he said, "You, you like, Yes, vegans are making this argument that says if aliens came down and they treated us like we treat animals, aliens would kill us. But no, vegans, you can't make that argument because blah, 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 blah. And now he's basically saying if aliens came down and treated us like vegans, they treated us how vegans want to treat animals, they would be killing humans. And so that's the reason why you shouldn't be vegan. So he's literally saying the same thing. He's saying aliens would come down and kill humans, which is the argument that he just disproved. This is the argument that he just is trying to disprove. Andy, it makes no sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's also an interesting thought experiment to extend the alien metaphor to these other things. Like we have to like suspend our disbelief. No. And I do think that that's entirely important. I do think it's important to it. I, I 100% think it's important to talk about these issues that the author is bringing up. But what I think is, is cuckoo bananas is that he's trying to use an argument that he said vegans can't use. He's trying to use that as an argument. He's trying to use the same argument to prove his own point. Yeah, I agree with you. It bothers me to no end. (laughs) Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you, Paul. Uh, But, um, but actually, actually I'll, I'll, I'll lower my blood pressure a little bit, bring it down a couple notches. And one thing that, that you just read was, how data is showing that there's this threat to all these species and the most pervasive threat they face is habitat destru- habitat destruction. So what the argument that he's trying to make is, Hey, just because you go vegan, you know, habitats are still being destroyed and that's not, you know, th- like that would still be happening. But the article itself says 
The most pervasive threat they face is habitat destruction and, and degradation driven by agricultural and forestry activities. He even he like he, he admits that agriculture is the main cause of this. And I actually uh, did a little bit more research on this end and just to figure out how much habitat destruction is caused just by agriculture and uh, like current reports from the WWF. That's the World Wildlife Federation, not the World Wrestling uh, Federation. Um, Great original joke, Paul. <laughs> thank you. Um, they said it's about 50%. About 50% of habitat destruction is caused by agriculture. And and I actually found a different uh, a study that was called Land Transformation by Humans, a review. And this was from 2007, but it broke it down more like it broke it down into more categories which i thought was cool so we'll definitely include the link to that but they gave the the total um like land use by agriculture and forestry they said it was 44 percent, which is still pretty close to 50 percent. and i can only imagine it has continued to grow from 2007 to 2014 but of note if we just in in that 2007 study, if we total up land use by urban areas, housing and businesses, highways and roads, reservoirs, railways, and mining and quarry, that only accounts to 6.8% of land use. So animal agriculture or just agriculture in general is the main source of habitat destruction and of course he could then say well but you're going to have to use you know you're going to have to use land to to farm plants as well to farm crops as well well andy i found a different article uh from <laughs> ourworldsindata.org and this is actually an article that i want to delve more into this it's a super long article it has a lot of great infographics we'll include it but they show that out of the 29% of land that's on the earth's surface 71% of that is uh, habitable land, 50% of that is used for agriculture, and of that land used for agriculture, 77% is used for livestock, and only 23% is used for crops. Damn. So, and and the, uh, they also said that of all the agricultural land, so the livestock and the crops, the 83% of our caloric supply for global consumption, 83% comes from plant-based food, whereas only 17% comes from meat and dairy. So the majority of our calories are coming from plants, according to this infographic, and that's only using 23% of the agricultural land. So if I, I feel like this would be an argument in, in to, to go along with what the author is saying of this article, but in the opposite direction of what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, well, even if everyone started eating a plant-based diet, like there's still animals being killed for land, but what this information kind of would lead, would lead towards is that, you know, switching over to veganism would actually use up less land because now the majority of the land is used for livestock. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the, the author admits that like, yes, a lot of this is used for agriculture, but then kind of does the whole like, well, what about field mice killed in the, the tilling of the field and all these things? We've addressed that uh, previously. And, you know, essentially the research says, yeah, that's an issue. Some some article that we talked about was like, it's basically negligible. And we got an update on the article, which is like, no, it's it's worth considering. And we're still working on figuring out all the data. 
So it's like it's not like we should just disregard that as like, oh, that's just that's just life. You know, obviously, yeah, we should support efforts and work to reduce the amount of animals that have to get killed for agriculture. But like everything you're saying to me, Paul, now and like these aren't, you know, like mind blowing. I think most vegans have heard similar statistics, right? How much use how much land's used for 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 livestock and all of these things. But it's like, yeah, if we if we short of advocating for human extinction, which we'll we'll get to in this article. <laughs> Short of advocating that, if if we accept that it's like more morally permissible to exist as a species, it seems like the one of the most responsible things we can do is to stop consuming animals. Yeah, like if if we're gonna try to responsibly use our land, not using animals is like is probably the most important thing we could do. I'm sure there are a lot of other things that we could talk about in terms of water use and pesticides and and all of these things then I don't think we should discount those. Like, I don't think we need to like laugh this guy out of the building and be like, all those other things aren't important, but it just feels like this article is just like totally like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of animals are killed for, for agriculture from the land use of it. But what about the field mice? And again, I feel like we have to, we have to decide, is this someone telling people to stop being vegan or is this someone that's like vegans need to go further? I mean, the article, the headline is like vegan ethics don't go far enough. It seems to me like and I said this before. I feel like the argument this the, the argument this author is trying to make is veganism is not going to solve everything. Like in its current form, veganism would not solve every single problem, and therefore it should not be implemented at all. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, let's let's run with that. Let's say that we're kind of going off the assumption that this is someone trying to talk people out of veganism. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 were like looking for other articles that this person had written and not a ton on this website necessarily. But then like I just like Googled their name and vegan and found a website called Let Them Eat Meat, which is run by this person. And the tagline <laughs> is an ex-vegan on veganism. So mystery solved. <laughs> This is someone that is no longer vegan talking about vegan and has a website dedicated to convincing people it's okay to eat meat. So like that to me, because at first I was like, this seems like it's some like sort of like deep green, like deep, deep ecology kind of person that's like not eating animals. If that's your thing, it's cool. But listen, we need to go further than that, to which I would say like, yeah, I think that is something that we need to consider. And we should consider the suffering of wild animals and, and how are we using our land and do we need to build more housing and like all of these things. Like, I don't think those are things that vegans shouldn't be concerned with at all. And and going back to the metaphor that the author is trying to state, if we didn't go vegan, you know, if aliens came down and acted like like meat eaters do, they would still be doing all the things that he's claiming that they would do. They would still be destroying our homes to make their own homes. They would still be destroying our lands, taking us in as pets, all the other things that he claims would happen if aliens came down for vegans. But in addition, they would also be just eating us. So, so it's like, I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I missed it, but I feel like the author never says, yeah, it would still be really shitty if aliens came down and acted like, like meat eaters do. Like, I almost feel like it just seems like a very, uh, an an argument that doesn't really suggest 
to do anything. It just says it's just a way to justify doing the thing that you're doing now and not feeling bad about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, it's like okay, the aliens if they came down and acted like meat eaters, they'd be doing all those horrible things, and it would also be significantly worse because look how much more land they would use. It it reminds me of when people bring up the plight of um, farm workers, where people are like, "Well, you don't care about the farm workers," and you're like, "Okay, like that's a, an important thing that we should care about, but how does you eating meat help the farm workers?" You know, like you're just like, yeah. you're, you're still contributing to the thing. And now you're just telling me because my, the step, this one step I have taken isn't the perfect solution for everything in the world. Like you're still part, you eat vegetables. I'm sure at the very least you're eating potatoes. Like I, like it's just such a ridiculous argument where people kind of pass off these things as if they, their lifestyle isn't also contributing to it. Yeah. And at least in in the metaphor that in the analogy that you just gave, Andy, at least like when people bring that up, it's like, yeah, vegans are contributing to that just as much or about just as much to to like the farm workers issues as meat eaters. But in this in this analogy that this person is trying to make, no, the vegans a vegan lifestyle would help some of these issues to some extent. They would help with the land use. Probably they would help with not destroying as many habitats. It wouldn't solve it. No, but it would probably be a step in the right direction. And I don't think the author really even acknowledges that it's like, it doesn't solve all these other issues. It's not, it's not going to save 100% of all animals all the time. So we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I guess to sort of expand, let's look a little bit deeper to the article. The article says, if if these aliens acted like vegans, what exactly would they be doing? So the article says, if our intergalactic superiors landed here but had no interest in eating us or our fellow animals, the first thing they could do is rob our stores, homes, farms, and warehouses of all our fruits, vegetables, beans, grains, and vegan convenience products without violating any vegan principles. There would be no limit to the amount of food vegan aliens could steal from us. As I was reading that, I realized how silly this point is. Um, Like, I was like, okay, is it against vegan ethic to steal, you know? And I'm just like, yes, it is. We don't eat the honey from a bee because it's a product of their labor, so stealing food that humans made for ourselves would be against a vegan ethic, I think. And if aliens were following the vegan ethic, they would be like, hey, I don't have consent to take this. This is something they created for themselves. It sustains them. So it's not mine to take anymore. Also, I completely agree with that, Andy. But setting aside what you just said for a moment, even if we took what this person was saying as like, oh, okay, you're right. Even if we took that, the author is trying to make it seem like this is something that vegans do. No, 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 no. This is something that all humans would be doing. It's not just the vegans. Like, you know what I mean? They're trying to make it seem like vegans specifically would be doing these things. And and again, I think this fits in the whole narrative of the the, the entire piece that they're trying to make. That they're trying to attack veganism while letting meat eaters still feel good about themselves. Because they're trying to frame, especially in this paragraph, it says like vegan convenience products and and they're not violating vegan ethics and it's these vegan aliens and stuff like that. So a meat eater that's reading this, 
I think what the author is trying to do is make it so that a meat eater that reads this would read like, oh yeah, vegans are bad because of their, they would be doing all this stuff. No, 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 no. Everyone's doing all this stuff. Everyone's being shitty. Like you don't get to excuse yourself from being shitty just because in this scenario, vegans are also doing the thing. And there, there's like one throwaway line earlier on in the article where the author's like, I, you know, I don't doubt that it would be preferable for the aliens to be, you know, vegan aliens versus non-vegan aliens. But that's kind of like the only acknowledgement that like it's still better for people to practice veganism. And the, the, I, the one of the lines you might be talking about was when the author says like, oh, if aliens came down and they treated human they, they treated humans the way that vegan treatments hu, vegan humans treat animals he says veganism would hardly figure as a safeguard of our well-being i feel like that is like come on if 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 aliens killed 10 billion humans versus killing the 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 0.1% of what that would be from like these other causes that he's saying i feel like that that constitutes more than the adjective hardly Adjective? Yeah. Adverb? Hardly? What? What is that? Who knows? I don't know. Who know? I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, he 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 throws us a a, a non-vegan bone, and but it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like it would hardly. And and you know, I don't think I, I'm I don't want to base my whole critique of this on well, the numbers would be would be greater, or like the type of suffering would be more, because like I think that. The 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 issues that the author brings up are important to talk about, like the the habitat destruction and animals being killed for harvesting plants and pesticides and all these things. You know, it's like I do think that these are important issues to talk about, but it is like the author does not bring up the fact that it would be, you know, the the percentage of animals affected by these other issues versus the percentage of animals affected by using them for food and research and entertainment and those sorts of things. I think that the two numbers, you know, like the the, the number pales in comparison to the number of animals that we eat every year. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to move on with a couple more examples of how a vegan alien would act and how that would affect us. Vegan ethics allow for humans using all the plant matter they want in the world, no matter how many animals starve as a consequence. Aliens could cause the worst famine humanity has ever seen, but it would be entirely compatible with vegan ethics. That's because it would fall under the rubric of quote unquote good intent. They wouldn't be killing us deliberately to eat us, but rather because they wanted our food and had the power to take it. Our starvation would be a foreseeable yet accidental side effect. We might try to fight the vegan invaders over this mass plunder, but then they could kill us outright for threatening their lives. That's because humans killing animals in self-defense is also no crime in veganism, even if we've wandered into the animal's own territory. And then there's like a few other examples Aliens could steal or destroy our homes to make their own. Humans could be without food or shelter, and that wouldn't violate vegan ethics. Aliens could keep humans as pets. They could, they could spay or neuter us. They could make those decisions for us. Um, there would be health exceptions where it'd be okay for some aliens. Some aliens might not be able to survive on a plant-based diet, so they would have to eat humans. And then that would be morally permissible as well. So I guess there's a lot to <laughs> dissect there, Paul, but what are you thinking about that so far? Well, again, 
he's bringing up like killing humans in self de- in self defense. The aliens would kill humans in self defense. I just googled it and I could not find an exact number, but I imagine that the number of animals killed in self defense every year is not tremendously high. I don't know. I'm not even going to try and throw out a number, but I imagine again it's you know point zero 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 one percent of the amount of animals that are being eaten for meat every year. So I, I, I just feel like it's not a super strong argument. And another thing, when he says, talking about how aliens would want our food, like I'm not going out and, and eating and foraging for berries in the forest to such a great extent that now the bears don't have any berries to eat. Like I'm not going out. Humans don't, <laughs> humans don't cause famine for animals by literally going out and eating their food that that they would be eating in the wild that's that's not how humans operate we do you know produce these massive agricultural huge facilities and that will maybe destroy the habitat that they live in and that's terrible but we're not eating their food that's such a strange argument to make right am am i no you're right you're right i mean because this this argument is like we, they could come into our stores and just take our food. And so like, yeah, the, again, the analogy really doesn't hold up. And, and for the article to, in the beginning, acknowledge how, how sort of weak and flimsy the alien analogy is and how there's like not a lot of one-to-one comparisons that are really accurate within it is really, I know you've been saying this whole time, but it's like really going on to make some very weak comparisons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, I'll say it again. It's important to talk about these issues, but like, I I don't know. I don't think the number of it stinks, but I don't think the number of animals killed in self-defense every year, you know, is is a chief concern amongst most people, even vegans included. And most certainly, I'm sure this guy, this author does not care about the number of animals killed in self-defense every year. I'm sure that's not on his high on his priority list. Yeah, and, and so what's kind of interesting about this is that it's attempting to sort of pick apart these like ethical exceptions that vegans make. And and I won't even say all vegans. I think some vegans would say maybe you should you should die rather than kill someone in self defense, you know, someone that's like super pacifist or, or whatever it might be. But it does say, you know, things like you can't do self defense. Like your vegan ethics don't hold up for like self defense. And it's just kind of like, I mean, I, I I feel like there's almost no one on the planet that when pressed couldn't find an instance when they would view killing as okay. Like we all, you know, we all say we're against violence, of course, but it's like, yeah, if someone was coming at you trying to kill you and you had the ability to stop them, I, I feel like very few people would blame that person for doing so. And it's trying to like pick apart these small instances in which like we would you know be okay with regrettable you know violent like things that we would feel remorseful over but sort of are a matter of survival like the whole like well what about those who don't have access to you know to vegan food what about those who have some super rare medical condition that requires them to eat animal products your vegan ethics don't go far enough because it doesn't cover those things and it to me it it's basically saying it's kind of that idea that it's impossible to be fully vegan in this world and that you should either just die or give up on it entirely. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's such a, it's, it's, it's such ridiculous. Like a, 
it's and it's it's an it's an attitude that is not helping anyone <laughs> like it's, yeah it's such like a, a stagnant attitude it's like this is where i am and and i don't want to try to be any better so i'm i don't want to try to be any better so i'm going to come up with this this pseudo philosophical argument about why i don't need to try and be any better yeah, and and I guess I'm just sort of wondering what like the proposed solution to these things are. Like I get saying vegan ethics don't go far enough. We need to care about the suffering of animals in the wild, especially in terms of our land use. And that would like be like, all right, vegans, we can do better. Like let's push ourselves to widen our circle of compassion to these other animals mm-hmm. and other situations. But I'm unsure of what the point of picking apart self-defense or someone that like requires an animal product or doesn't have access to these things like that's not to me that's not something that's like all right vegans we can do better that's just sort of something that's like people are like well what if you got bitten by a snake would you take snake venom you know like things like that you're like why is this super rare like scenario helpful for us to examine like what good is it doing anybody to bring these things up when it's sort of i would say besides the point but i guess the author would say it it is the point that like maybe you need to take your ethics out to these extreme examples to see if they really hold up or not yeah oh andy 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 yeah well (laughs) so the author then goes on to say you know what the argument from an alien invasion ultimately shows then is that humans cannot consistently apply the golden rule to the rest of the animal kingdom without going a lot further than vegans are asking us to go. Animal rights philosophers are positing a problem that might have no practical solution. Yes, non-human animals are thinking and feeling individuals who want to live, but attempting to correct the power imbalance between humans and other animals would require much more than humans giving up animal products. We would have to stop spaying and neutering animals, reverse our destruction and fragmentation of animal habitat, give up agriculture and civilization, (laughs) refuse to eat animals even where our well-being requires it, and become pacifist gatherers who never foraged food that other animals needed for themselves. Even then, other animals would have nothing to gain from our presence here. This is why some people believe the logical conclusion of animal rights is human extinction. And for that, for, for that little thread, this actually ties in quite nicely to our previous myth- misanthropy episode, Paul. Yeah, and the episode where we talked about human extinction. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So... So, I mean, we've been kind of, like, hinting at it, but well, essentially, so if this is someone that's, like, not vegan and is, is basically, like, if you believe in animal rights, that means you shouldn't exist as a human anymore. I I do think that what the author is trying to do in this paragraph is say that, what you just said, is say that if you truly want to be vegan, you also have to be in favor of human extinction. And I think what the author is trying to do is posit that idea, knowing that most people are not in favor of human extinction. So, so the author is trying to say like, well, if you want to do this, you have to also be in favor of this thing that you really don't want to be in favor for. I think that that's what the author is trying to do. I don't think that the author is actually trying to make an argument for why human extinction should be a thing. I think that they're trying to come, they're trying to say that vegans also have to, be in agreement with this thing that most people disagree with. Yeah, I think it's basically trying to paint 
paint vegans as being hypocritical. Yeah. This this paragraph kind of reminds me of that that character in Okja, the one that was like refusing to eat because all food is the product of exploitation. <laughs> yeah. And 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 universally in reviews that I've read and in our review of that film, everyone sort of recognizes that as being this sort of weird extreme that's not a productive position to take, even though one that I can relate to. You're like, okay, got to go vegan because animals are hurt. Oh, shit, I got to check out my my chocolate source now because humans are forced into slavery for chocolate. Oh, but what about the palm oil? Oh, but what about the farm workers picking the tomatoes for for Wendy's and like all of these things? And you're like, fuck, I can't eat anything anymore. <laughs> like, like, like we get that, but again, it's not a helpful position to take. It's sort of like we need to do the best we can. We can always do better today than the day before, but there is sort of some like limits to what we can do as human beings on this planet. And I think it's important, something that the author doesn't acknowledge is that, like, we have made a mess. We have spent a couple thousand, few thousand years making a mess of of everything. And so now we are at this place right now and and we can't really make the argument like, oh, and and if you really want to be vegan, you just need to now leave animals alone. Like, you need to completely leave them alone. And and I'm bringing this up when when the author talks about like spaying and neutering animals and reversing the destruction and fragmentation of animal habitat. Like, we've made this mess for not only for other humans, but we've made this mess for animals. And we need to make steps to undo this mess. And those steps to undo the mess might involve us interacting with those animals maybe it's spaying and neutering them so i i I think that we can still be vegan and work towards you know reversing all the shittiness that we've caused and that might involve us interacting with the with the animals maybe the ultimate goal is to then be able to just leave them on their own and do their own thing but as we are right now it's like we we do need to do these things. And so I think what the author is trying to say by, by bringing up spaying and neutering, the author is trying to be like, well, most people, vegans and not vegans, a lot of people are just in favor of spaying and neutering in general. And the author is trying to say like, well, if you really want to be vegan, then you can't do that anymore. So it's the same idea as before where the author is just trying to, I think, flimsily compare vegans to or saying that if you are vegan, you also have to have this other idea that is disfavorable. And it's just not like a, it's like not a good, I don't think it's like a good argument tactic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just read the final paragraph from this article. (laughs) I'm going to do it, Paul. Okay. Uh, And then we can sort of make some conclusions on this. The article just, this just like straight up sort of says what the author means. Neutrality is impossible in a world with limited resources. Everything we take is at a loss for other animals. And since we want to live, enjoy our lives, and reproduce, just as they do, we will never stop bypassing animals' desires for our own, so long as we are here. We can give up some of the luxuries of domination for the sake of non-humans, but any sacrifices we make this side of human extinction are token compromises that selfishly maintain our fundamental position. Worldwide veganism wouldn't allow us to live in harmony with other animals. It's just one of those token compromises. No matter what ethical philosophy we hold on to, on the day that brilliant, powerful aliens invade our planet, we'd better hope they don't try to be anything like us. Hey, Andy. Yes, Paul. 
the first half of that last paragraph, couldn't you replace animals with the phrase other humans? And wouldn't that still work? Everything we take is at a loss for other humans. And since we want to live, enjoy our lives and reproduce, we will never stop bypassing other humans' desires for our own so long as we are here. Like, we already do we already do these things to other people, and it's shitty and terrible, and I'm pretty sure that this author would agree with me in saying that, hey, yeah, we shouldn't stomp on other people to do these things just for our own luxury. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could probably make more of a case that humans, we could, in theory, find a way to live in harmony with each other. But even in that scenario, we would still be taking natural resources and and doing things that hurt animals. So I don't know if I could necessarily replace it with other people. Well, I was more saying, but to uh, your point, I do agree. Yeah, like I'm saying, like as it is right now, we do we do this to other humans. Like we are terrible as a whole to other to each other. And just because we are terrible to each other doesn't mean that we shouldn't not try to not be terrible there's a lot of negatives in there but (laughs) (laughs) well i mean honestly i i bet the author would say all of those things are reasons for human extinction like yeah we're terrible to each other we just shouldn't exist because we can't seem to get our shit straightened out i don't think this author wants human extinction and you know why andy i think because that would mean that this author needs to be extinct as well and i don't think this author wants to give up wants to give that up I don't know. I, I don't I don't know enough about this author to make that statement, Paul. I don't either. All I know is from this article. Yes, uh, other than the fact that they are still a human that's here on this planet, I guess, but Yeah. Um so I don't know. It it's it's frustrating because to me this is ultimately just I, I think I've already said this, but this is just another vegans can't do everything, so you might as well do nothing. But I feel like you know, this person, if they are coming from a place where they like would value human extinction, it seems like they would still be in favor of people like not using resources as fast as we are. Like maybe there's like, that's a band aid. who cares, but still feels like everything would be aided. Everything this person is talking about would be better if the world was vegan versus as it is right now. Including the metaphor that drives their entire premise, which is aliens coming down. Yeah. So I feel like we've pretty much stated how we feel about this. We've explored all those things. But, Paul, this did get me thinking, like, well, well, what about wild animals? You know, like, what can we do? Is this something we should be concerned with? Like, it is a pretty prevalent view. I, I certainly, I think I hold this view. I hadn't, I guess I hadn't really truly deeply examined it before but kind of like all we need to care about is the suffering we're directly contributing to and those that we can help to influence to stop contributing to and like nature is brutal but that's like nature you know like that's not something that's our duty to like interfere with and I, and not necessarily even care about and and I was trying to do a little research to find out like well how many animals are out in in the wilderness how many animals die of starvation and and all of these things and and doing research on that like I knew nature was red of tooth and claw as the quote goes <laughs> but man <laughs> but it god is damn a miserable existence for animals <laughs> that are out in the wild like you're constantly under the threat of of horrible prolonged painful death <laughs> um so like like 
I would never downplay how miserable it can be. Uh, and you know, it's funny because I've had people bring up the argument to me that the death on a farm for an animal is often faster than a death for an animal out in the wild. I don't, I don't think that's a reason to continue to exploit animals because at least the ones out in the wild get a chance to live their natural life. Though apparently tons of them die very soon after birth as well. Like, like nothing is good for animals anywhere. Plus, plus, Andy, if someone makes that argument to you, it's not you choosing one or the other. It's you doubling the amount of animals or more so. It's it's saying like, hey, all these animals in the wild are going to die terribly. And I'm bringing all these other animals into existence that I am also going to kill. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very true, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so it did have me pondering and uh, on that subject. And, and I guess we've we've sort of already kind of stated it, but like. What do you think? Do, where does our responsibility end as as people that claim to care about animals? In in this is my view, and I think that different vegans will have different views on this. But I think that once the entire world goes vegan, you know, it's like we also need to focus on these other human factors that are contributing to the destruction of habitats that are contributing to just pollution and killing animals in in more subtle ways or like secondary ways and this is bleak andy but i don't think that 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 challenge will could ever be solved like i don't think there's any way that we can reduce humans impact on animals to zero just by the nature of us being here so I think that I am okay with vegans and humans forever trying to get as close to zero as possible, but I don't think that it's ever going to be zero. And so I I think I would rather focus our efforts on that rather than like, I don't know, going out into nature and finding some way to affect, I I, like, cause to me, I have, I couldn't even fathom what that would be a way to like, would it mean going to all the the predators in the world and and feeding them all like fake meat so that the real the, the prey won't get killed like i can't even fathom what that would even mean yeah i mean it has me thinking about when people are like so what are you gonna go tell lions to stop eating gazelles that ridiculous thing like yeah. i'm like yeah what could that possibly look like i was looking into is this something that anyone is doing anything about I found a lot of articles that talk about, as I said, the suffering of animals in the wild and then people acknowledging that animals are suffering worse in the wild because of the things that humans do. Um, And certainly climate change as affected by animal agriculture is something that does affect a lot of animals. And doing research, this sort of field of wild animal welfare you know, for for the animal's sake and not necessarily the sake of, like, conservation of the land and all of these things, it's not really something that a lot of people are doing right now. And so everything that I read was kind of like, you know, nature and ecosystems are so complicated that even things that might help animals in a short-term situation, like, oh, we these animals are starving, so we feed them. Does that harm other animals down the line? Does it throw the the ecosystem out of whack? All of these things. So, yeah, because you know, there's there's like natural equilibrium in like and predator prey models and those sorts of things that, like you said, Andy, I think us interfering could probably throw it out of balance and then 
mess it up even more. Yeah, and, which is not to say that there aren't potentially situations where humans could intervene and help animals. For for instance, certain things that did get brought up was could we give vaccines to animals? This is something that was done to manage rabies and wild foxes. And granted, that's something that was done for the benefit of humans. But if there was some disease that was really harming these animals, could we go out there and give them vaccines? People have talked about doing population control, you know, via not like killing a bunch of deer, but like via fertility regulation, things like that. You know, these are things that can be done. I I found there's a website called animalethics.org, and they have a whole section on, like, wild animal suffering, and they have a a whole article on malnutrition and thirst and and things like that. A lot of animals just die from lack of, of, like, fresh, cleaned water. This article did give an example of something that's being done, sort of. It said, for example, the management of wetlands for wild animals is usually done by means of construction of ponds or reed beds construction for water cleaning. This gives the animals in these areas regular access to water. So that, of course, deals with the thirst issue. These and other techniques could be used to help other animals in need of water. Such interventions could be monitored so that they do not cause the suffering to more animals, i.e., this may happen if ponds increase the population of insects, for instance, and due to their population dynamics, an increase in population necessarily leads to an increase in mortality. All of this, to me, Paul, is like right over my head this Mm -hmm. is like things that are so hard for these are the people that like know what they're talking about and they're writing these articles and they're going this is really complicated and we're not sure how to tackle these things you know people talk about like oh should we go out and feed these wild animals but that brings up well does that sort of disincentivize them to be able to survive on their own does it domesticate them does it Mm -hmm. embolden them to enter into quote-unquote human territory obviously we stole this territory from the animals anyway but you know like all of these things and i'm like these are so hard for me to wrap my head around and the experts in these fields are like not sure and there's all this studying and research needs to be done And so I'm like, okay, I think we should be concerned with these things. I don't think we should discount them or tell anyone that is concerned with them, like, oh, you're silly, you shouldn't care about that. But then I think about the suffering that we directly cause as humans and how the solution to that, in theory, is so simple to stop using animals. Yeah. Where should we be putting our time right now? What should I, as a human being with limited time and resources, that has the ability to have a conversation with someone in the supermarket and can give them concrete steps to take to help animals right now? And do I tell them, we need to go extinct, we need to give back our land to the animals, or do I say, go get those guardian crispy tenders, they're really tasty? (laughs) You know, like, like, what can we as individuals do? To me, it just feels like... The things that this article is trying to pile on top of us as our responsibility or as the things that, like, we're not going far enough, you know, it's like, of course, we can never go far enough. There's always something more for us to do. But I think in terms of, like, how can we be the most effective, I think that it's still we need to make more vegans. Like, to me, it all all comes back to that. And we know how much positive impact it will have on, on these wild animals if we reduce the amount of land we use, if we, you know, all the greenhouse gas, all these things will be so much better if the world goes vegan. 
that it just feels like this article is just like throwing all these things at us that we don't need to. Like we should consider, but it shouldn't be what weighs the heaviest on our conscience. Yeah, the, the like the constructing the pond and those sorts of things. Like you said, Annie, that's not something I would ever think of. And it, it also just kind of feels very <laughs> single issue campaign-y. Like it's like, I'm going to construct this pond so now that these thousand animals that interact with this one pond will be better for it, hopefully, versus getting people to go vegan and, and potentially saving billions of animals. Yeah, and and I also think that not to say that going vegan is a silver bullet for humanity to care about other issues, but I do think that if we had a vegan population that valued animals as vegans do, there would also be much more of a fast track for figuring out these issues for wild animals. And and I think that, you know, if <laughs> if the entire world were vegan, you know, th- then the people the the conservatives would be the ones that would be saying veganism is enough and the like the progressives would be the ones that were saying no we need to build ponds and it's like i would like to get to that i would like to get to that point where where the the most conservative minded of folk are still you know are still living a compassionate lifestyle paul that's a beautiful vision of the future you have <laughs> beautiful vision that i will probably never see in my lifetime <laughs> not with that attitude you won't um is this is is this time to wrap this up andy i think we've reached the end of this journey this has been a a long one paul this has been a fun one i'm really happy to dive into this one with you Mm -hmm. i could imagine doing more episodes on wild animal suffering in the future but yeah for now of course we need to know what all you beautiful beardos think about this issue a lot of topics come up. I'm sure we did not cover everything, and I'm sure there's some solutions that we weren't thinking of that you are privy to. So please send us an email, thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Facebook, the Instagram, all that good stuff. We love hearing from you, and if you're feeling kind, please leave us a nice review on iTunes. I, I uh, said a few things off the cuff on this episode, so feel free to critique those things that I was saying. yeah yeah i mean a lot of this is stuff that i hadn't really given a ton of thought to so yeah this was a good brain exercise paul it was it was andy we haven't i feel like we're a lot of our more recent episodes have been critiquing vegans that we haven't critiqued a a non-vegan article in a while it's fun fun. (laughs) can't lie (laughs) um but uh yeah andy what do you got coming up Oh boy, uh, this coming weekend I'll be at the Central Florida Veg Fest in good old Orlando, Florida, and then continuing my residency in Florida, November 4th, I'll be at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest in Tampa, Florida, of course. November 11th, I'm going to be at the Atlanta Veg Fest, Atlanta, Georgia. November 19th, just added this to the schedule this morning, we'll be doing back at the Vegan Pop-Up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. So that's everything through November, and I got things all the way through July of next year in in Connecticut, Philly, Arizona, California, New Jersey, all those places. You can find the dates, deets, and links for all of those events at CompassionCo.com. So I'll be behind the Compassion Company table. It's my clothing line. Come say hi. Say, what's up, Beardo? And I will politely hand you a Beard Vegans button and or sticker, and it's uh, great to meet all the Beardos at these events. You going to go to Disney World, Andy? Uh, your 
recommendation of that Pandora ride. <laughs> That's what I was about to ask you. 100% has me saying I'm going to go to fucking Disney World. <laughs> Paul, have you seen the movie Independence Day? I have. It's one with, of my uh, all- with with Michael Gregor. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Gregor. It's one of my all-time favorite films. I think to me one of my favorite sequences that the really creepy one where they have the alien on the like autopsy table, yep. right? And you have Data from Star Trek in there he's a scientist and the the alien like comes alive and like wraps his tentacles around data's neck and it's like the first time that the aliens are able to speak in like human language to humans and it's like there's smoke and there's fog machines and 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 like a strobe lights going off it's like super creepy and you're like what is it that these aliens have to say to us (laughs) they finally have a human uh speaker to use and it I can't. It's so weird that this came out so many years ago. But the first words they said were the following seven words We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I am Andy. (laughs) I am Andy. (laughs) What if we did it in the robot voices? (laughs) (laughs) When people are exposed to negative images of overweight or obese... (laughs) (laughs) ...that they face is habitat destruction and degradation... That was on your end, huh? There's no yeah. cars around me. <laughs> <laughs> what he's arguing is... Uh, no, no, I shut up. Stop, Paul. Okay. Um, cut that out. Um, <laughs>